Welcome to the Focus on Customer Service podcast, presented by Social Media Today, where we talk to brands you know and love who are laser-focused on using social media to deliver amazing customer experiences. And now, here are your co-hosts, Dan Gingas and Dan Moriarty. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to episode 51 of the Focus on Customer Service podcast. This is your host, Dan Gingas, and I am super excited today to introduce you to a guy that I actually have a little bit of history with, and we'll get into that in a second. But this is a guy that is making a name for himself in the world of customer experience. And we've definitely talked a lot about on this podcast how customer experience is the sum of all the touch points that you have with a customer. And obviously, social care is but one of those touch points. So we wanted to widen up the lens a little bit in this episode and talk about everything else that goes into that experience. So I am super excited to welcome my old pal, Joey Coleman, to the podcast. How you doing, buddy? I am great, Dan. It's an honor to be on the show, and I really appreciate getting the chance to connect with you this way. It's awesome. Well, I'm super excited to have you here. And just for the listeners, uh, Joey and I have a friend in common, and this is kind of how small of a world it is. But Joey's roommate in college turned out to be my best friend in business school, I don't know, many years later. And Joey and I met when I was at business school with his college roommate, and that is now over 15 years ago. And we had the uh, exciting moment of meeting again at Social Media Marketing World this March, where Joey was a keynote speaker and did an incredible job. So Joey, why don't we start by just telling the audience a little bit about you and your background and, and what you're doing today? Sure. So I have a very eclectic past that has allowed me to arrive at this point today where I spend most of my time as a professional speaker. And what I mean by that is I travel to events and conferences and annual meetings, giving keynotes and workshops on how do you create remarkable customer experiences, the kind of experiences that will transition someone from being a transactional customer to a customer for life. And the way I got here was kind of circuitous. After college, went to law school. I was a criminal defense lawyer for a while. I did business consulting for Fortune 500 companies. I taught at the collegiate level or at the uh, kind of graduate school level. I ran a division of a promotional products company. I ran my own ad agency for over a decade. So it's been kind of a roller coaster, if you will, path to get to where we are today. But the, you know, they always say that hindsight is 2020. And when I look back over my career, the thing that has really tied everything together is I've always been fascinated by why people do the things they do, why they make the decisions they make, why they exhibit the behaviors they exhibit, and whether that's been put to use trying to convince a jury not to convict someone of an alleged crime, or whether helping a company sell more widgets next month, or in just helping to design why you should have a a certain logo or a certain color in your brand, all of these things kind of connect to the human condition, which is something that's fascinated me my entire life life. And I'm excited to be able to work in that space all day, every day. You know, it's funny that you say that. I was a psychology major in uh, undergraduate and my second major was communications. And really what that meant, because I was in the liberal arts area, was I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. (laughs) And uh, I was pretty sure I didn't want to be a psychologist and I didn't want to go into journalism. and, And but yet those were two areas that I was particularly fascinated by. And when I ended up in marketing, 
it didn't take me long to realize that marketing was actually a really good combination of psychology and communications. And then as I got more intrigued with customer experience over the years, there's a huge amount of psychology that plays into that. And this sort of the relationship building that has to happen between a person and a brand. And I know that one of the things that you talk about is that there's a very specific period of time where that relationship needs to be built. And I'm hoping you can share that a little bit with our listeners. Absolutely. So, you know, when I was running my ad agency, people would regularly hire me to help them get more customers. And as time went on, I realized that getting customers is important, but keeping customers is even more important. And so I started to look at all the different ways that someone can retain a customer and really build an experience that is lasting and continues to deepen the relationship. And I stumbled across some research that absolutely blew my mind. And that research came out of the banking world. And it it shared that 32% of new customers who join a bank will leave before their one-year anniversary. And that blew my mind because I don't know when the last time you signed up for a bank account, but it's not a particularly fun process. It's a fairly onerous process. I actually just went through this with um, someone who is uh, new to the United States helping them get a bank account. And we were in the bank for almost two hours, getting them set up just with an ATM card and a basic checking and savings account, nothing complex. So the fact that so many customers were leaving after going through this huge headache surprised me. And what really blew my mind is that 16% of the total new customers that come to a bank leave within the first 100 days. And this really caught my attention. And this idea of making a first impression and a lasting impression and getting the first 100 days right evolved the more I study different industries and realized that across every industry I've studied, and it's been dozens and dozens, if not up to 100 different industries now or more, in every one, somewhere between 20 and 70% of your new customers will leave before they reach the 100-day anniversary. And the fact that this is happening across the world and in all sorts of businesses, and no one seems to be talking about it, blew my mind because you know, basically companies are hemorrhaging. They're spending all this time, effort, and money acquiring new customers, but not spending you know, a fraction of that time, effort, or money keeping those customers. And it really became the genesis of my first 100 days methodology and concept, which is in the first 100 days, what are you doing to walk the customer through a systematic process that is designed to introduce and welcome them to your business and really get them to embrace your way of doing business and operating so that they become a raving fan? Well, it's fascinating to hear you say this. I mean, I think that a lot of companies sort of depend on the inertia that comes with that long process of signing up, whether it's a bank account or a cable company or whatever it is, like nobody wants to switch because they know it's a pain in the neck. And I think that for a long time, companies have taken advantage of that and figured, well, all we got to do is get them in the door and and they'll stick around. You're obviously saying that there's a for a big portion of the population, that's not true. And I'm wondering if, you know, I talk a lot about customer expectations and how the whether we meet or miss expectations as a company leads customers to have certain emotions you know on a scale of you know very happy to very angry and that those emotions is what cause people to share stuff on social media and so i'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about 
it seems to me that in this first hundred days is really where the customer expectation, you start to figure out really quickly whether the company that you've just decided to do business with is going to be able to meet your expectations or not. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, and I think you hit the nail on the head, Dan, when you talk about emotions, right? Because it becomes a very emotional experience very quickly for the customer. And most businesses today, although they're, I think they're starting in some ways to get a little bit better, but in some ways they're actually getting worse, are failing to acknowledge the emotional side of the relationship and the interactions. You know, for, for all too long, we've been in this scenario where we're told, you know, oh, well, this is business. It's not personal. And the emotions aren't for the workplace. Save those for your private life and that type of thing. And it's the problem is at the end of the day, we've got humans dealing with humans. And the thing that makes the human condition unique is the emotional reactions to our circumstances and situations. And so I agree with you that being cognizant of these emotions is really important. And also as an organization, matching those emotions with the expectations. One of the things that I've been spending a lot of time working on and looking at right now is even the language that we use to describe this. Most businesses, when they talk about customer expectations, the word they attach to customer expectation is management. So what does our expectation management look like? I don't know about you. I have never met a human being that liked to be managed. It just doesn't really exist. People certainly like to know what they're getting and, and where things are coming from. And, you know, we, we like good surprises. We don't like all surprises. But this idea of managing someone's emotions or managing their expectations, I think, sets up a kind of a one side of the table versus the other side of the table type of relationship from the outset. Instead, what I think companies should be looking at is expectation design and how are we designing the expectations for our customers and working with them in a more collaborative fashion. Now, a big piece of why this happens, I think, in so many companies is because the customer, when they are a prospect, explain what their expectations are to the salesperson. The salesperson lots of times says, yeah, yeah, we can handle that. And then they get them to sign on the dotted line. And then what happens is in most businesses, the salesperson hands off to an account manager or an account rep without telling them any of the conversations that happened before. Or if they do tell them, it's like the bare minimum of an explanation. And as a result, the customer who felt that they very clearly outlined what they wanted out of the relationship now finds himself re-explaining that to someone new after the money has been transacted, after the signature has been put down on the contract. And what they often find is that account manager saying, yeah, no, we can't do that. Or now we're not going to be able to accomplish that in the time frame you thought. And it turns in, it kind of puts the account manager in this position of having to dig out from underneath the promises that were made during the sales process. And it leaves the customer feeling like they haven't been heard. And that's what really exacerbates the emotions at that point. So this is why you and I could probably talk for, I don't know, hours on end and have a lot to <laughs> continue to say. So I just published a blog post a couple of weeks ago. I called it a tale of two sales and I'll, I'll link to it in the show notes. And it's about two different sales for very high priced items. One was a car and one was a new set of windows. And the difference between these two sales was so prominent in my mind that I felt like I had to, to write about them because with one, it was exactly what you just explained. It was the salesperson said, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And then when it actually came time to, you know, get the windows and install them, there were problems. And in fact, four visits to the house worth of problems. And the salesperson, of course, was nowhere to be found because he already made the sale and was on worrying about his next sale. And I, as a customer, am sitting there saying, but but wait a second, my installation's not even over yet because I haven't gotten the windows installed that I paid for, right? So, and I compared that to the purchase of a new car. In this particular case, the, the brand just works so hard to continue to create an amazing experience every single time you have to go into the dealership. Because who's excited about going into a car dealership to get their car serviced? Absolutely no one, except when you show up and they have a chef there that makes made-to-order breakfast from scratch. And you're like, oh, well, yeah, sure. If it's going to take a little while to have the car done, I think I could wait, you know, free Wi-Fi and freshly made breakfast and all that. And it's like, it's such a nice experience. And what it does is it continues to affirm my decision of going with that car brand versus another car brand. And so I, I think that I think you're absolutely right on. I want to get back to something that you said. I love this term, and I hadn't heard you say it before about ex- expectation design. So I want to understand a little bit more about what that looks like and how you. I mean, I, what I think you're saying is that in some ways we almost have to tell the customer what their expectations are rather than the other way around, or at least set them up to be successful down the road. Exactly, exactly. Because I think what, so if we look at the old concept of expectation management, it's about, oh, the customer tells us what we want. And then we say, no, nah, we're not going to be able to do that. Uh, yeah, we can maybe do that. Well, that's going to take longer. It immediately puts us in this place of being reactive to the customer's wants and needs. Whereas from, if we think about, you know, and the name of my business is Design Symphony, right? So this, I, the word design, I feel like is so rich with meaning in the sense that to me, it has always meant a conscious decision to create something that is thoughtful, is purposeful, and is also easily repeated in a systematic fashion, right? So it's not haphazard. It's, you know, something that is, you know, just more thoughtful. And I think in this context, what that means is, and and I want to be really clear, because when I've talked to some folks about this, they've said, Joey, we do not want to co-design expectations with every single customer because we're not going to be able to deliver on that. We'll have a hundred different versions of what the expectations are for every hundred clients. This doesn't make sense. And I agree with that. But what I do think needs to happen in the sales process, and then it needs to be reaffirmed and reinforced post-sale in the customer account management or account treatment process is this idea of let's talk about what you're hoping to get out of this relationship and what are you hoping to accomplish? What are you hoping to achieve by buying our widget or signing up for our service or whatever business you're in, this is applicable. And then having that conversation early on about, okay, well, we'll be able to do this, but we won't be able to do this. And here's ways we can work around that. Or maybe if you sign up for this different service, you can accomplish it better. I had an interesting experience when I was in Europe two weeks ago in that I needed a plug adapter for my MacBook Pro. 
And I didn't have the European converter and we were using it for different stuff. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go to the Apple store and get one. So I walked into the store. This is in Amsterdam. And I go to buy just the, you know, on the Apple power box, if you will, there's that little piece that pulls out with the US plug. Well, as it turns out, that piece, they have other country plugs that you can just slide right in. And what I also didn't know is that Apple builds its power boxes with a converter in it. So it doesn't matter whether you're plugging in in the US or Europe, that box is managing the conversion of the voltage. I had no idea about this. So I walk in to buy this and I'm thinking I need to buy a whole new cord and power box. And I grab one and I walk up to pay for it. And the rep says, great. So just out of curiosity, I see you're getting a power cord. Are you, are you having some power issues? I said, well, I'm visiting from the US and I want to be able to use this and I need European adapter. And he said, well, do you have your American power box and, and three prong plug with you? And I said, yeah. He said, well, why don't I just sell you this? And he sells me just the little European adapter cube that goes onto it, which by the way, is about one fifth the price of the full power cord. Moral of the story being, I had an expectation of what I wanted. And because the representative was willing to talk to me about what I was trying to accomplish, he was able to save me money and time and weight in my luggage and headache. Because now I'm not carrying around two giant cords and power boxes. I'm just carrying around a little tiny clip adapter. And in that moment, it dawned on me that he had helped redesign my expectations for what I actually wanted. And to me, that's what's available to every business. Well, for sure. You don't know what you don't know, right? Exactly. You had, you had no way of knowing that there was only a little piece. And I, I think that's fantastic. I mean, you know, I had a, a guy come out to the house the other day because I was having a problem uh, with our fireplace. And he took one look at it and solved it in about five minutes and I said, okay, how much do I owe you? He said, I, I just showed up and solved your problem in five minutes. You don't owe me anything. He said, here's my card. Call me if you need help again. And I'm like, wow. You know, so yeah. somebody yeah. who needs, anytime I'm ever asked, you know, do you know a fireplace guy? I got a fireplace guy now, right? And Exactly. I, and I think that companies for a long time, maybe because it's very difficult to measure, but they didn't put a lot of emphasis on that or really weight towards it. And so where I kind of want to go next with you is that it sounds like that one of the things that you're talking about in this in this expectation design is also about organizational design, that as customers, we interact with lots of different people at a company. We might start with a salesperson and go to a service person, or who knows where you bought your iMac from. It might have even been from a different retailer, not Apple, and, and now you're going to an Apple store. Or the, you've got the Amsterdam store versus the U.S. store. So how should companies look at making sure that that customer experience is considered by all employees who are touching it? And listeners, fear not, we're going to veer into social media here in just a second. But that's sort of my cue in, or my segue into social is that, you know, my belief is that social media agents have a particularly interesting role because they kind of have to know everything about everything. They have to be a jack of all trades because you never know what kind of question they're going to get. So how do you prepare a company to make sure that that, that transition, especially from, from sales to account manager, but also maybe to customer service person, how do you make sure that's smooth? Great question. I mean, it really is, at the end of the day, a question of culture. What 
type of culture have you established in your organization? Do you allow the mentality of silos and, well, I'm responsible for this and that's it and nothing else. And if it doesn't fall within the perfect purview of what my job description says, I'm not wasting my time with it. I'm not doing anything with it. Or do you take the kind of uh, knowing that we are similarly aged, we both remember, and I I know your love of athletics, when kind of the cross trainer came out as a shoe, right? And this whole idea of Bo Jackson, and I can play multiple sports at the same time and, you know, with the same shoe. I think that's how businesses need to start thinking. Everybody in your company, most businesses, I think, have bought into the concept that everyone is in sales, not just the sales department. Even more importantly, Everyone is in customer experience because how often is our experience of a brand dampened or diminished or destroyed by our interactions with the billing department? How often does the tone set by the receptionist lead to the tone of the overall conversation with the main point of contact we were trying to reach? All of these various touch points contribute to the overall experience. And I agree with you, you know, the folks who are in social and responsible for social for an organization have this unique ability to interact directly with the customer in an environment that really is designed for the customer raising their hand and saying, I need this, I want this, I'm having this problem. And it gives the opportunity for the social care folks to come in and say, I can help. The headache that I think most companies have is they say, well, how are we supposed to train our customer care person to handle every type of scenario? At the end of the day, you probably can't. But what you can do is to teach them how to respond from an ethic of service and an ethic of care and experience. You can also give them the internal resources to be able to say, I don't know the answer to your question, Sally, but my buddy Dan does. Let me put you in direct contact with him. And so it's really about educating your employees as to the resources that exist within the organization. And by the way, when you do that and you create an environment where the employees know what their fellow coworkers do and what their areas of expertise are, it actually builds morale within the organization, which translates into the communications they're having in the customer because they become more positive and more upbeat and more happy, which leaves the customer feeling more happy and positive and upbeat about doing business with you, which gets them to either buy more of your product or service or refer their friends. And so this whole discussion, if I may just rant briefly, I am so sick of the discussion around ROI, around customer experience. When did we decide that every interaction in the human condition must be measurable by a return on our investment? Let me tell you, I know you're married, Dan, I'm married. If you approach a marriage based on an ROI equation, you're divorced within a month, right? And yet the same analogy can be applied to our business relationships. Why are we looking to create ROI on every interaction? I'd I'd rather see people look at, you know, the emotional return instead of the dollar return. How do I feel about that interaction? How does the customer feel about that interaction? And while those things are hard to uh, assign a specific dollar value to, and while I certainly recognize that businesses need to run in a way that allows them to maintain profitability and ongoing operations, I think it's okay to teach your employees that solving the problem is often more important than what it costs to solve the problem. 
Uh, totally, totally agree. And I, I know I can just see a lot of our listeners nodding their heads here because, you know, people that are in customer service and in, in social care particularly are often asked that question of, you know, well, so what kind of ROI are you delivering for me today? And so I completely agree with you. One of the things that I think is really interesting about social and about this role, besides from the fact that agents have to be super connected with the rest of the organization, as you say, and by the way, I think I think you were right about making the agent feel better, therefore making the customer feel better. There's also this sense of empowerment, right? If I know who to go talk to in the company, then I feel more confident that I can solve almost any problem, even if I don't know the answer myself. Absolutely. Absolutely. And how empowering and wonderful is that for your employees to feel that they can handle it, which doesn't that get to the core of the ROI discussion about uh, first call resolution? or first tweet resolution, right? I mean, at the end of the day, the thing that the bean counters want us to do, which is to be able to solve problems quickly and efficiently with the least amount of resource, well, if we invest in the softer side of our business, of our employees knowing how the business operates and who the various players are and how to route different types of questions, concerns, and queries, it puts us in a much better position to be able to solve these problems quickly and effectively. We are talking with customer experience expert Joey Coleman. You can find him on Twitter at the Joey Coleman. I will warn you, he's still getting, you know, his feet wet on Twitter, but <laughs> follow him, ask him lots of questions. He's very responsive and he's he's certainly a great guy to know. Speaking Dan of- is so kind. Allow me to interrupt for your listeners. Dan has been so kind in gently helping me as I dip my foot into more social activity. As he mentioned, we had the chance to reconnect at Social Media Marketing World this year where I had the pleasure of giving one of the keynotes. And at that time, I took the stage. I want to say I had 164 followers on Twitter. And it was pretty hysterical because I'd been on Twitter for all of about three days at that point. I certainly see value in it. And I'm honored to be allowed to talk to folks who are much more experienced in the world and social than I am. Well, I think one of the key things about social that makes what you talk about, Joey, so much more relevant than than even a few years ago is that everything is out in public these days. And so I just realized I didn't quite know how to frame it into words until a couple of weeks ago where I realized there really is no such thing as an offline experience anymore. I mean, you know, we all read the news lately about what was going on with a a couple of uh, large airlines in the United States. And I began thinking that it used to be that what happened on an airplane stayed on an airplane, right? <laughs> right who the heck right. were you going to tell, right? You might tell a couple of friends and, and whatever. And now in that industry and in every other industry, every single person walking around has a camera or a video camera in their pocket. And so an experience that may have before been acceptable, even if it was bad, because the worst that happened is you annoyed one customer and maybe they told a few friends – that experience that used to be quote unquote offline now comes online in the form of a viral video that takes Twitter and Facebook by storm. And now millions of people have formulated a new opinion about your brand and it can happen that fast. So have you given any thought, even though, and it's totally fine that you're not, you know, a quote unquote social guy, but have you given thought to this idea that the customer experience 
is now out in the open and how companies need to adapt to that. Absolutely. I mean, at the end of the day, customer experience has always been an important piece of the conversation, but it's more important today than at any other time, I think, in human history. And one of the main reasons for that is because everything that happens is so easily amplified across the entire universe of customers and potential customers and even random people that might happen to catch a news story. I think it's really important for organizations to recognize, and I and I never heard it uh, said the way you just said it, that there's no such thing as an offline experience anymore. I think you're absolutely right. And the question now becomes, how do we think about our experience, not only in terms of the impact that it's happen- that's happening to that individual customer that's experiencing it, but how will this story be retold and shared and spread going forward, whether it's a good story or a bad story? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people, I think, miss the point that when you make a happy customer, they're more than willing to share that story as well. People are not just tweeting about bad experiences. In fact, sadly, because positive experiences tend to still be somewhat surprising and not typical, I think that people are are almost just as willing to share when they have a fantastic experience with the brand. I would totally agree with you. And I think the reason we see the nightmare stories crop up more than the feel-good stories is because there are more of them. I actually disagree with a lot of the positioning that, well, customers are more willing to tell about a bad experience than a good experience. I think that's because they have so many bad experiences that they're familiar with it. You know, my personal opinion that the bar for customer experience in this country and frankly in the planet at large is lying on the ground. What you need to do to create a wonderful, magical moment for a customer is listen and care. It's not any more complicated than that. You know, just the slightest little things that one might do. I mean, the perfect example when you were talking about the fireplace guy, he was only there for a couple minutes. Now, he, you would have been happy to pay the bill, I'm sure, if you would have said, yeah, well, our service call is 100 bucks, and that's what it, I know I was only here five minutes, but I fixed the problem. Okay. But the fact that he says, you know what, don't worry about it. Just in the future, if you need fireplace help, call me. I won't even begin to guess how many times you've already told that story, including telling it on the podcast today to all your listeners all around the world. By the way, guys, if you need a fireplace guy, let me know. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, what's so interesting is everybody, you know, I think so many businesses – talk about wanting to be top of mind for their customers and wanting to be the first person their customer thinks of when they need fireplace issues or they need new windows or they need a new car or whatever the the purchasing scenario is. The way you do that is, you know, sure, is marketing a piece of that? Yeah, but I'm a lot more interested in the marketing that is naturally created through remarkable experiences and really wowing the customer in a way that they can't help but remember you. It'll be 10 years from now. And if you have a problem with a fireplace, you're going to remember that guy. Now, it's not because he's going to continue to send you a postcard every month. Dan, do you need help with your fireplace this month? And it's not going to be because you saw some ad of his on TV. It's going to be because when you had the in-person interaction with him, he did something unexpected. It was thoughtful and it was memorable. And now, that will have that impact on your memory banks when you need help in the future. Absolutely. So just a quick question. Do you think 
that customer experience is going to become the last true differentiator between companies? 100%. It's like you're reading my book, Dan. And the book's not <laughs> hey, out. that was my yeah. next question. I hear that you have a, a nice segue. Yeah. I do have coming out. So here, briefly, here, here's my thought on that. So if you think back to the 1970s and 80s, it used to be that when you went to a store and you bought something, there was a good one out of three chance that it was broken right out of the package. And then we have this concept of total quality management come out of Japan and spread around the world. And it leads to Six Sigma and the black belts and all of that, where we basically say things need to work when we buy them. So suddenly the quality of products changes and generally products work when we buy them. Well, once everybody's product started to work when we buy it, now the debate became one of price. And so with just-in-time manufacturing, the price of everything moves to the least common denominator or the lowest multiple. And so the price gets really low on everything. Then in the 2000s, we come along and everything's about connectivity, about 24-7 accessibility. Can I do it online? And suddenly what was a differentiator at the beginning of the 2000s becomes the norm today. The last great differentiator is the customer experience. And the reason I love the customer experience as a differentiator falls into a couple of reasons. Number one, it's something that you design by yourself. You can make the experience whatever you want it to be, and you can enhance that experience at a moment's notice. Number two, it allows your employees to really be engaged because they're actually contributing a lot to the customer experience. Number three, customer experience is something that is very difficult to copy, right? Because how I'm treated by one company, it's hard for them to, you know, for a competitor to treat me exactly the same way. And lastly, customer experience is a lot more fun for your customers to talk about. You know, sometimes you'll hear somebody saying, oh, I got a sweet deal on this. The price was really, really low. Or, wow, I got it home and it worked just like the ad said it was going to work. What you hear people talking about is, I had the most amazing interaction. This was incredible. Not only did it work the way it was supposed to work, but it did even more. Not only was the price a great price, but oh my gosh, the value I got was even more. They're talking about the things that go above and beyond. And I think that's why customer experience really is where every organization needs to be doubling down their investments and their efforts to really give conscious consideration to the experiences their customers are having. I love it. I love everything about it. And I want to hear about your book and especially uh, about a little news that you, uh, you know, I don't know how many people you've told, but I'm excited that you're going to tell our listeners about your news that, that just came up last week. Yeah, Dan, it's exciting. Other than uh, my wife, you're, you were the second person to know. Your audience is about to collectively become the third. So my book, which has been over a decade in the making in terms of my experience and what we've been doing around creating remarkable customer experiences, specifically in the first 100 days, is coming out next February, so February of 2018, published by the fantastic folks at Penguin Portfolio. And the book title just got finalized earlier this week. And the title is going to be Never Lose a Customer Again. With the entire premise of the book being we all know the absolute heartbreak that comes when a customer decides to stop doing business with us, especially when we realize it could have been avoided. And keeping a customer is so much more important than acquiring a customer. 
This book will provide a step-by-step guide to how you walk your customers through the eight phases of the customer journey from the moment they first start thinking about doing your business doing business with you up through the point where they are a zealous advocate and a raving fan and it includes examples from all sorts of businesses and all kinds of industries so there's something in there for everyone and I really wanted to write a book that not only explained how to do this in a very tactical way but really was a philosophy that an organization can adopt to really shore up the morale and the experience their employees have and to reconnect us to why most business owners and managers got into business in the first place, which was to help people and to serve people and to provide a great product or a great service. The goal is that by never losing a customer again, you're allowed to continue to grow and build your business and achieve your wildest dreams. So that's what's coming out next February. Awesome title, man. And everything I know about you, uh, that is going to be one fantastic read. I'm sure it will be uh, incredibly actionable. Joey, if you haven't heard him speak, uh, is a fantastic speaker. He's very creative. He's very engaging. So I know this is going to be, I know that will translate into your book. And I am very, very excited to read it. I'll write it down in my calendar so I don't start some like massive 800 page novel before (laughs) it comes out because I will be very excited to read it. So tell everyone, Joey, how else people can get in touch with either you personally or with Design Symphony. Sure. So the best way to get in touch with me is through my website. I know it's funny to say that on a uh, podcast that's listened to by a bunch of social folks. Yes, you can find me on Twitter and LinkedIn and and the other Facebook and the other social platforms. But the best way where I kind of aggregate everything is at joeycoleman.com. That's Joey, J-O-E-Y, probably like some five-year-old you know somewhere. Coleman, C-O-L-E-M-A-N, like the camping equipment, joeycoleman.com. And if you go Go to joeycoleman.com slash F-O-C-S, or Focus on Customer Service, you'll have the chance to download a first 100-day starter kit where I walk through the eight phases that your customer is going through and give you suggestions of things you can do to enhance that experience each step of the way. And as we get closer to the book coming out, there will also be opportunities to download sample chapters and get a copy of the book and that type of thing. So definitely come check it out. There's a newsletter there too you can sign up for. All the all the fun goodies to kind of uh, continue to be part of the customer experience adventure and movement that I uh, continue to try to champion and support. Awesome. Well, you know, kind of coming full circle, I want to encourage everybody to go to Joey's website and sign up for this because, you know, in social care, we are a part of the customer experience. We're a really important part because oftentimes we're talking to customers who have had the experience go wrong somewhere else, and it's our job to fix it. Sometimes when we're lucky, we're talking to customers who've had a great experience with our customer, with our company, and we get to celebrate that with them. But understanding how to consistently deliver a positive customer experience ends up making social care a lot easier and more fun job to do because you talk to more happy customers. So definitely check out Joey and his website. Joey, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, As I said before, I could talk to you for hours on end, but this has been really fun and really great to have you. Oh, it's my pleasure, Dan, and uh, keep doing the good work. I'm a big fan of the podcast and what you're doing to spread the word about 
social care and, and really looking at social as an important piece of the customer journey as opposed to just a, a line item in a marketing or service budget. And so I appreciate all of your hard work on this and I'm excited to continue the conversation going forward. Awesome. Well, thanks again. This is Dan Gingas, and you've been listening to episode 51 of the Focus on Customer Service podcast. We'll see you next time, and thanks so much for listening. Thanks for listening to the Focus on Customer Service podcast, presented by Social Media Today. Be sure to tweet your thoughts and nominations for other brands to be featured using hashtag FOCS, and follow Dan and Dan on Twitter at DGingas and at I am Dan Moriarty. See you next time.